fifth chapter, Romans chapter number five, we're studying the names given by God to his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are in the names starting with the letter C. This morning we began a consideration... dismissed. <laughs> All right, let's try that again. Not, No, not that again. <laughs> let's, let's try starting the sermon again. All right, so we start this morning looking at what the Bible says about Christ. And Christ is a title given to the man whose name is Jesus. The name Jesus is given to the man who has from everlasting to everlasting been the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is used 532 times in Scripture. Combined with the name, Jesus Christ is used 189 times. It's flipped, Christ Jesus, 58 times. And then the full designation, Lord Jesus Christ, 82 times. This morning we saw that the baby who was born in the manger, was called Christ. His name was Jesus, which is called Christ. We saw that Christ, according to John 1, is the Old Testament Messiah. Then we went to Daniel 9 and saw that Messiah is the one who would bring about an end of transgression, who would put an end to sin, who would reconcile sinful man to a holy God by bringing in everlasting righteousness. Then we saw that Christ, Jesus, who is called Christ, is the Lord. So this is God reconciling man to himself in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And Luke 24 says the only way that he could do that was to die in the place of the sinner, that the sinner might eternally be in the place where God had desired him to be in fellowship with God. Now, we, we are studying the names of Jesus, and, and for months now we, we've been trying to keep ourselves within the parameters of this study, and, and it, it, it has really put the, the constraints on preaching, which is why people are really enjoying the study, because it's, it's study, it's not preaching. But I, I would just ask any of you that might be considering devoting less of your time and energy to the Lord, devoting more of your energy and your love to material things, putting school or pleasure or career ahead of church and Bible study in the service of Jesus Christ, what have any of those things done for you in comparison with what Christ has done for you? What will any of those things ever bring to your life or bring to your family in comparison to what Jesus Christ has brought to your life and your family? I consider myself 
just a nominal Christian, not even, not even middle of the road. And yet I am, I am viewed by other Christians that I know in this world as some sort of zealous fanatic. I don't think that's the case at all. I just don't understand how a person could have the same love and devotion to something that brings them momentary pleasure once in a while, but aggravation and heartache and trouble most of the time when they could devote their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. It just to me, Romans 12, 1 is, is, is so apt. Present yourselves, living, bodies living sacrifice, wholly acceptable in God, which is your reasonable service. To me, it's just reasonable that you would devote yourself to the one who's done so much for you instead of devoting yourself to things that would ne could never, could never match for a moment what God has done, what God has meant to us. So we continue on our study tonight on Jesus the Christ. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5 and verse number 6, for when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't tell me to get strong and then he would save me. He didn't tell me to get right and then he would save me. He said when I had no strength and when I was ungodly, Christ died for me. Now, it is true that Jesus died upon the cross. It is true that the Lord hung upon the cross. But when the Bible says Christ died for the ungodly, He, hanging on that cross, is the one who was promised in the law and the prophets. He is the one who could reconcile man to God. I have seen blasphemous t-shirts and posters through the years and they'll have a picture of some communist, or they'll have a picture of, uh, of Custer, or they'll have a picture of some soldier, and it'll say, He died for your sins. And it may be true that from different political vantage points, and, and those who hold different political persuasions could say, That man died because you are a sinner. But no one has ever died who could reconcile the sinner to God. You see, verse 7 says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. And this has happened. There have been cases on a battlefield, or there have been cases of, of, of um, uh, organ donation, or there have been cases where somebody stepped in front of a bullet, and, and there have been people who have stepped up and died so someone else could live. But none of those deaths reconciled anyone to God. They allowed someone else to live a little longer before they died and went to hell. But they didn't save them from hellfire. But when Christ died for the ungodly, the one who died on that middle cross was the one who could make an end of sin and make reconciliation for the people and bring fallen man back into a right relationship with God. So it's, it's not enough that someone died for us. 
For us to be saved, it must be Christ who died for us. And thanks be to God, that's exactly what happened. Verse 8 says, But God commended His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What a blessing. Look, look at my condition before I get saved. Verse number 6, without strength. Verse number 6, ungodly. Verse number 7, I'm not righteous. Verse number 7, I'm not good. Verse number 8, I am a sinner. Knowing all that, the Lord became Jesus, and Jesus the Christ went to the cross and died for me. That's grace. That's grace. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And thank the Lord for it. Now, look at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 and verse number, uh, let's see, verse number 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that as many of us as were baptized into water were baptized, oh wait, uh, uh, let me read it again. Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. If you get in water, you're in water. If you get in Jesus Christ, you're in Jesus Christ. You won't stay in the water, but you'll stay in Jesus Christ. All right, therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Verse 8, now if we be dead with Christ... We believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over Him. So, not only did Christ die for our sins, Christ rose from the dead that we might be reconciled to God, and Christ lives forever so that once we are reconciled to God, we will never be separated from God. Okay, now, now think just right. I'm not, I'm not trying to split hairs. I'm trying to be scriptural. Jesus walked on water. That's not going to get you to heaven. Jesus gave sight to the blind, opened the ears of the deaf, cleansed the lepers. That's not going to get you to heaven. Jesus pardoned the woman taken in adultery. Jesus raised the widow of Nain's son from the dead. Jesus worked all these miracles. That's not going to get you to heaven. But when Jesus, who was the Christ, died for our sins, now there's a payment made to satisfy the wrath of God. And when Christ rose from the dead, now there is a power greater than sin, death, and hell. And Christ, who died and rose again, ever lives. That's the Savior. Say so over here at Stetson, they'll say some nice things about Jesus. But they won't acknowledge He is the Christ. The Christ died for our sins. The Christ rose from the dead. The Christ ever lives at the right hand of the Father, and it is Christ Jesus the Lord, by His death, His burial, and His resurrection, that can free you from your sin and reconcile you to God. And as I said this morning, I say again tonight, 
that, that holy title of Jesus should never be a curse word or an oath on the lips of any living human being. You're going to use that name, use it in reverence and, and with honor. All right, Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter 2. So Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ rose from the dead. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 30. Acts 2 verse 30. Therefore being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. And then verse number 36, Therefore, let, us, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Okay, so, so look at this. Christ, Jesus the man, Christ the title, Messiah, the Savior, the sin-bearer, the reconciler, He died upon the cross. He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven. He sat down at the right hand of the Father. And verse 36, God said, I have made Jesus Christ. See, see the word? See the wording? God the Father points to the man who ascended and said, I have made this man, my son, this man, I have made him Christ. Now, now, think back to Daniel 9 where we're this morning. Messiah. John 1.41 says Messiah is Christ. Messiah will make an end of sin. Messiah will make an end of transgression. Messiah will reconcile the people to God. When, when God the Father said, pointed to His Son and said, I declare him to be Christ. He just said, Krishna can't get you here. He said, Islam can't get you here. He said, Catholicism can't get you here. I am God in heaven. And I have declared this man the one who will reconcile you, reconcile you to me. If you're not reconciled to God by Jesus Christ, you can't be reconciled to God. If your sins are not, not brought to an end by Jesus Christ, there is nobody out there who can make an end of your sins. It, is, it doesn't matter. Well, I, I know some religious people who say it doesn't matter. Well, I, I know some churches that believe it doesn't matter. Well, don't you think there are many different religions? It doesn't matter. God. God. You know, the one you're trying to get to? In heaven. You know, the place you want to go when you die? God made Jesus Christ. So you're not going to be reconciled to God unless you are reconciled by the death, burial, and resurrection 
of His Son, the Lord, who became Jesus, who is called Christ. The words of the Bible are very precise. They have explicit meaning. And if people would go by the exact words of the Bible, they would never say silly things like, well, I just believe that all roads eventually lead to God. That's not what God said. I just believe as long as a person is sincere and dedicated to their faith, that's not what God said. I am, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Watch just his opinion. No, God the Father said the same thing. Acts chapter number 2, I've made him Christ. Okay? Look in your Bible in Acts 18. Acts chapter 18. Acts 18, verse 24. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria. My mother lived there for many years. Uh, no, this, I think this is the one in Egypt, not Louisiana. I don't think Paul got as far as Louisiana. Anyway, certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent of the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. So he's in and around Jerusalem at the time John the Baptist is preaching, then he moves on. So he doesn't know anything that's happened since Jesus was revealed to be the Lamb of God. He knows nothing about the three and a half years of Jesus' earthly ministry. He knows nothing about the death, the burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. His knowledge of God's word stops with John the Baptist. Verse 26, And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come, helped them much, which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the Scriptures that Jesus was Christ. See the difference? Every Jew in the Middle East, in the days of Acts chapter 18, would have known about a man named Jesus. Every Jew in every synagogue would have known about the miracles wrought by a man named Jesus. Every Jew in every colony throughout the world would have known that Jesus was put to death by crucifixion and that his disciples had claimed that he rose from the dead. They all knew about Jesus. They all knew what he'd done. They all knew what had been done to him. They all knew what had been said about him. But Apollos took the scriptures and proved to them that Jesus was Christ. See, what they had to believe was that the man called Jesus took away sins by the sacrifice of himself upon the cross. What they had to believe was that the man called Jesus 
could reconcile them to God and nobody else could. And what better man for the job than Apollos who knew the Scriptures, eloquent in the Scriptures, preaching the Scriptures, believed John the Baptist, baptized under John the Baptist, and for all that, he had to trust Jesus as his Savior in order to be reconciled to God. So he could go into those synagogues and say, you believe that, I believe that, and you do that, and I do that, and you know that, and I know that, but here's the one place you stop short just like I did. Jesus is Christ. He's the promised sin-bearer to reconcile us to God. And until they recognized that, they couldn't be saved. But once they saw that, and, and where'd they see it? Well, fortunately, it's not, it's not limited to Paul's epistles. Because the scriptures Apollos would have had in a synagogue are Genesis through Malachi. And from those scriptures, he said, now this is what God said about Messiah, this is what God said about Messiah, this is what God said about Messiah, this is what Jesus did, this is what Jesus did, this is what Jesus did. Look, he's the Messiah. And some believed and some did not, but it's, it's absolute truth from the Word of God. All right, let's look in our Bibles in Romans chapter 1. Go back to Romans chapter number 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, Jesus is the subject of the gospel. Stay with me now. But it is the gospel of Christ. Because let's, let's suppose that I'm a, I'm a good, sincere, man-loving, God-serving, liberal, mainline, denominational minister. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying anything critical or evil. Let, let's suppose that's who I am. And... and Right now, I'm really under a lot of pressure because normally, normally, I've got one sermon a week to prepare, but, but right now, I've got to make sure all the pumpkins are ordered. I've got to make sure the pumpkins are stacked on the lawn properly. I've got to make sure the whole town knows that we're selling pumpkins. And, and it's, there's a lot of pressure on me right now because it's, it's Halloween harvest festival time. And if we don't sell enough pumpkins, we're going to have to, you know, it's going to cost us more next year to feed the homeless. And so... so and so, I'm preaching, I, get, I stand in the pulpit, and I say, and you, we all know the gospel, and I turn to the Sermon on the Mount, and I say, Jesus taught, blessed are the peacemakers, and Jesus taught, uh, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, and Jesus taught, love your neighbors yourself, and Jesus taught, and Jesus did teach a lot of things, and none of those things are the gospel. And Jesus fed the hungry, and, and, and so should we. And, and Jesus was kind to the poor, and we should be kind to the poor. And Jesus loved everybody, and we should love everybody. And that's absolutely right, but it's not the gospel. And so the book of Romans is very specific. The gospel of Christ. And when you move from, from 
talking about what Jesus said and what Jesus did, to proclaiming the gospel of Christ, you become the enemy of most religious people in your town. Now, now, come on, stay with me. I'm not, I'm not trying to be controversial. I'm trying to tell you the truth. If you feed the homeless and build a habitat for humans, okay, and if you help people in, in their rehab facilities and if you help people in, in their hospital needs and if you do all those things, and you never tell them that the only way they can be reconciled to God is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have not given them the gospel. You have been nice to them. You have helped their life to be more comfortable. You've even made yourself feel like a good person because you've done something for your neighbor. You've even done some things that Jesus did but you have not given anyone the gospel. Christ was sent by His Father to... Shall we read it again? Let, let's just, let, let me just... I keep quoting it partially. Let me just read it again. You don't have to go anywhere. Just, just stay right there. Christ came to make an end of sins... Soup kitchens don't make an end of sins. I didn't say they were wrong. Christ came to finish the transgression. Giving relief supplies to hurricane victims is a great thing to do. It doesn't make an end of transgression. He came to make reconciliation for iniquity. It is a great thing to take in foster children. It is a great thing to be a volunteer at the, at the school and help boys without fathers to stay off drugs. It will not reconcile them to God. Messiah came to bring in everlasting righteousness. We want to be as kind and gracious and loving as we possibly can to all of our neighbors. It won't give them sufficient righteousness to go to heaven when they die. So we are not preaching a gospel of live like Jesus. We are not preaching a gospel of walk in His steps. We are preaching the gospel of Christ. I'm... I'm not trying to be controversial. Some of you are looking at me like, I, like I'm, I'm saying, I'm contradicting myself. I'm not contradicting myself. First Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15. Come on, take a look at it. 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15. Verse number 3. No, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Verse 3, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, and that He, Christ, was buried, and that He, Christ, rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's why believers are called Christians. We are trusting 
Christ. We're not part of Christianism. See, we're not trying to do what Jesus did. We're trusting Christ. Mormonism, Buddhism, Mohammedism, Protestantism. Just go right down the lines. It's not Christianism. It's Christianity. It's a person, not a system. It's what he did, not what we do. So what we preach is the gospel of Christ, the one sent by God to pay for sins, the one sent by God to reconcile man to himself. That's who we preach. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter number 8. We're going quickly, looking at lots of verses, seeing what the Bible says. Romans 8, verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? See that? This book of Romans, more than any other, sets forth Christ, the Messiah, the sin-bearer, the reconciler, and we have absolute certain hope that we will spend forever wrapped up in the love of God because of Christ. How can I have such hope? Because my sins have met their end in the death of Jesus upon the cross. Romans chapter 10. Romans 10 Verse number one, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, what were they trying to do? Show God how good they were. Have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. What did God want them to do? Say, we're not good enough. We're going to trust your son. Verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. See that? That's exactly what Daniel 9 said. Messiah will put an end to your striving to please God by your works. And He will allow you to stand before God righteous, not because of your works, but because of His work. Well, I want that. Then the verse says, For Christ is in the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. I can do that. I can do that. So, the Bible says in Romans 10, verse number 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord 
shall be saved. And so there they all are together. Christ, Jesus, the Lord. Well, who do I trust? You've got to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. People say, I'm trusting God. Jesus said, you believe in God, believe also in me. People say, I'm just following Jesus. Who is he? Great teacher, prophet, Jeremiah, Elias, one of the prophets. Who is he? He's Christ. He's the sin bearer, reconciles man to God. That's who he is. Do you believe that? See, this is what's so scary. And I, I'm not speaking uh, present company, I, I hope. But here's what happens every single day. You go out and talk to people. Hi, can I, can I give you something to read? What's that about? Well, it's, it's the gospel. It's about Jesus. Oh, I believe in Jesus. You do. When did you get saved? Oh, I've always been saved. When did you get saved? Oh, when I was eight days old. When did you get saved? Oh, I was in a terrible automobile accident. And I, when did you get saved? Well, I'm trying the best I can. When did you get saved? Well, I was baptized just last month. You know what you realize? People, by and large, are going about to establish their own righteousness. And they do not understand that Jesus was Christ. And Jesus, the man, was the one selected by God to put an end to sin and reconcile man to God. And you sometimes you've got to go a month before you meet anybody who understands that. And that includes most of the people who say they're Christians. Are you saved? Well, what do you mean? Well, do you know Jesus is your Savior? Oh, I'm a, I'm a Baptist. I didn't ask you that. Oh, I'm Presbyterian. Oh, I'm a Lutheran. Oh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm well, you know, I'm not as good as I should be, but I, you know, I'm, I'm getting there. Uh, Christians aren't perfect. They're just forgiven. <laughs> how long has it been? How rare is it for somebody to say, I am trusting Jesus Christ as my Savior. And that's why it's important we take time to look at these things and to, and to understand them and grasp them. All right. Because He's Christ, there are three things that belong to Him. There are three things that belong to Him. Romans 16. Romans chapter 16 Verse number 7. Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also would have been in Christ before me, but it all started with me, so they couldn't be. No, wait. Who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved, in the Lord. Salute Arbane, our helper in Christ. Verse 10, salute Apelles, approved in Christ. And Stachys, my uh, beloved, that's in verse number 9. Uh, salute them which are Aristobulus' household. Now, notice none of the saved belong to Paul. None of the saved belong to the church at Rome. None of the saved belong 
to a congregation. None of the saved belong to a minister. They all belong to Christ. If you are saved, you belong to Jesus Christ. You're His. That's a blessing. It's a blessing. Look at Romans 16, verse number 16. Salute one another with an holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. Have you seen that on the billboards? North Alabama, South Tennessee, churches of Christ salute you. It's interesting. The group that has a really good biblical name, Church of Christ, which is a much more biblical name than Baptist, they don't trust Christ for their salvation. It's too bad. Anyway, who to whom do the churches belong? They don't belong to the members. They don't belong to the deacons. They don't belong to the pastor. They don't belong to the denomination. They don't belong to the hierarchy. The churches belong to Christ because every saved person who makes up the church belongs to Christ. Therefore, the assemblies of saved people belong to Christ. Okay, now this, again, I'm not trying to talk down to anybody. We're just making sure we all understand the Bible as it's written. In the United States, once upon a time, your property was yours. I I mean, I can't even, it's hard to even explain these things anymore because they no longer exist. But but what that meant is, it's my property. So if I want to plant a tree in my yard, I'll do it. It's mine. If I want to cut a tree down in my yard, I'll do it. It's my yard. It's my tree. If I want to paint my house blue, I'll paint it blue. If I want to paint it black, I'll paint it black. If I want to paint it white, I'll paint it white. Because it's my house. Now, I know that that concept is lost on people living in this uh, pre-communist society that we're in, where you're told how many trees you can plant and why you can cut them down, can't cut them down, and how much of it you can cut down, and, and what color you can paint your house and all that. I understand that. But... The idea is, what I'm saying is, because it's your house, you decide what's done with it. Right? These are my children. I feed them. What I put on the table, that's what they eat. It's not for you to decide what I feed my children. It's not for you to decide how I educate my children. It's not for you to decide how I discipline my children. You might have your ideas, I welcome your input, but they're my children. We we understand that. If the church belongs to Jesus Christ, who should tell the church what to do? Jesus Christ. Not, Not a man, not a group of men, not a denomination of men, not a committee of men. We should do what Christ says because we belong to Christ. So we don't call a convention and send all our delegates so our church can decide what our position is going to be on homosexuals or any other topic of the day. We just find out what Christ said. Why? Because it's His church. So simple. 
So simple. All right, one more. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The saved belong to Him. The churches belong to Him. 1 Corinthians 12. First Corinthians 12, verse 12. For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. So, verse number 27. Now, ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. So we take it a little bit farther. The saved who belong to Christ assemble in churches who belong to Christ, but all the saved and all the churches form a body. And the body belongs to Christ. It's His. I'm okay with that. Wouldn't you rather he, he, Him have it than... Some man to have it? Now, let's, no, no, un, no unpleasant memories, no accusations, nothing. Just think with me for a minute. Suppose you were a Roman Catholic and, and your cardinals elected a pope who came out and said, I think atheists get to go to heaven just like Roman Catholics. You would say, why does the church get to be his? He doesn't even know what he's talking about. Suppose you were an independent Baptist, and your pastor ran off with the building fund, or your pastor ran off with some woman, and you'd say, I can't believe we ever let that man run our church. Nobody should ever be in those positions. The church belongs to Jesus Christ. So if you belong to Christ, and the assembly you attend belongs to Christ, and the body of which you're a part belongs to Christ, if the Pope flips out, or the pastor wipes out, it shouldn't affect your walk with the Lord at all. Because you don't belong to those men, you belong to Jesus Christ. so simple to just go by the Bible. Well, I used to go to church till this deacon did something. Well, you don't belong to that deacon. Well, you know, I tried being a Christian, but all these preachers kept doing these things I didn't agree with. You don't belong to those preachers. You belong to Jesus Christ. And when He saved you, He put you in an assembly of believers. And He told you to be in an assembly of believers. And He made you part of a body, joined one to another. And He said, I'm the one telling you to participate, and how to participate, and where to participate, and when to participate. So we just read the Bible, find out what Christ says. Since we belong to Him, we do what He says. All simple, all easy. So, I don't know how you narrow down 532 New Testament references on Christ, but this is what we've done. He's born Jesus. He's called Christ. That's Matthew 1. Christ in the New Testament means Messiah in the Old Testament. That's John chapter 1. 
Messiah in the Old Testament is the one who makes an end of sins, reconciles man to God, and brings in everlasting righteousness. The one who was born in a manger and called Jesus, the heavenly host announced he's Christ. It was foretold in the scripture that Christ would suffer, be buried, rise again three days after his death. The Bible says that Christ did just that for ungodly sinners. And the Bible says that any ungodly sinner who will trust Him can be reconciled to God. Because Jesus rose from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and dies no more, if you belong to Him, His righteousness assures you that you will rise from the dead and spend eternity with the Father. So we don't preach to the world the life of Jesus, though we tell them what he did. And we don't preach to the world the deeds of Jesus, though they were wonderful. We preach to the world the gospel of Christ, that he died, that he was buried, that he rose again, that he's the only one who can take away your sins and reconcile you to God. We rejoice in knowing that Christ's righteousness belongs to all who believe on Him so that we get to heaven on His merits because we could never get to heaven on our merits. And everyone who has trusted Christ as His Savior belongs to Him. The churches in which they assemble belong to Him. And the body of Christ as a whole belongs to Him. It is the body of Christ, the church of Christ, made up of Christ one's Christians. Praise the Lord. So, I'll say again what I said this morning. I try, I try, whenever I hear somebody take the name of Jesus in vain or as a swear word, they say, Jesus, I say, is Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ is God. I hear somebody say, Christ. I'll say, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I want to take every time I hear someone blaspheme or curse the name of the Lord, I want God to hear me turn it into a praise to His holy name. This world may not think He's worthy. I know He is. I know He is. So, Christ died for our sins. Christ was buried. Christ rose again the third day. And we rejoice in that together today. Amen. All right, Brother Shubi be ministering Thursday night from Psalm 20. We're up to Psalm number 20 already. And then on Sunday, uh, we're going to really put to the test. Everybody, oh, I've just, I've just enjoyed this study so much. Sunday morning, Sunday night, coming up one week from today. Lord willing, we're going to talk about Jesus as the counselor. And doesn't this world have a lot of ideas about counsel and counselors? But we're going to see what the Bible says about 
counsel and counselors, and that should be thrilling for about 50% of the <laughs> congregation. Amen. All right, Father, thank you for the Christ. Help us, Lord, to more fully and completely understand and appreciate all the wonders wrapped up in the person that we so, so shallow, so shallow in our thinking, so limited in our understanding. We just call him Jesus. Lord, we thank you for expanding our understanding of who he is, what he's done for each and every one of us. And we thank you and praise you in his name. Amen. Amen. We are replacing the pews that you're sitting